Imagine if you had a, uh, a teenager, I know that might be hard for some of you to actually imagine that. Uh, uh, some of you are thinking, I've got a teenager, I, I don't have to imagine that at all. Uh, but just say that your teenager was uh, really showing promise with playing the piano. And uh, they tried hard and they'd worked hard at it and uh, they've developed a bunch of skill in piano playing. But the piano that you have at home is sort of like a kid's uh, set. Uh, you know, the keyboard's limited, and it's this, the range is limited, and the keys are certainly not weighted. And uh, for Christmas, uh, you just like really encouraged by the progress your, your teen has been making, and you splurge. Uh, you just get a great Christmas gift, and uh, you get a nice weighted keyboard. It's got the whole range of sound. It sounds just like a grand piano. I mean, this thing's awesome. And uh, your, your, your teen gets this Christmas present and just absolutely delighted. And, uh, you know, for about an hour, it's just like playing great on the, on the, on the keyboard. And uh, by now, which is the 4th of January, uh, your teen hasn't played on it since that one little hour. Uh, and you think, wow, you've uh, uh, been hanging around at home all week, and, and I know you love uh, worship, I, lo I know you love playing the piano, I, I know that you like this particular piano. And so as a concerned parent, you, you go over to your teen and you say, uh, is there something wrong? I mean, and uh, your teen says, no, no, that's just the greatest gift. It, it's really fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for getting it for us. Uh, uh, for me, uh, and then he said, well, you haven't been playing it. And then to your absolute shock, you, you, your teen says, I, I just don't feel worthy. And you'd say, like, who are you? I mean, a, a teenager respond that way, like, you don't feel worthy? Uh, and uh, so you press in it, but no, no, I, I, I'm just, like, I'd love you to play this. And your teen just says, no, I'm just not going to play the piano anymore. I, I'm just... I just don't feel worthy, and, uh, and I'm just actually busy on other things. And uh, Wouldn't your response be somewhat like surprised and like there's something wrong with this situation? You'd be thinking like, what am I missing? I wonder, I wonder if God has not given each of us a, a gift of some sort, whether it be music, whether it be a love of dance, whether it be a love to uh, write or write poetry, or if you're really crazy to love running, uh, you know, or something that you just like, you enjoy doing. And in fact, as you do it, it, it seems to give you life. But for some strange reason, you don't do it. And you say, you know, I'm just, I'm just too busy. I just really love working every day. I, I just love getting stressed out. I love just being constantly worried, and I don't have time to do the thing that gives me life. I'm just not going to do it. I mean, don't you think that it would be displeasing to God uh, and, and not honoring God? I mean, if you just try to make the link on, on some of these things, uh, if you can make the link of saying, Maybe God created you with a passion to dance or worship or music or run or whatever it is that gives you life. Maybe God just wired you that way. And that just like 
gives God great pleasure and joy to see you enjoying that thing that he's put in your heart to do. And don't you think it would be like upsetting to God if you don't do the very thing that he's designed you to delight in and to receive pleasure in? Well, I think that this is the way that the Lord has indeed made us, where he has made us to delight in the way he's created us. And so the big idea for today's sermon and for New Year's resolutions and for uh, thinking about this year ahead is can we indeed do the very thing that gives us life if it's honoring in, in, in the Lord? I mean, you know, if something gives you life and it's sinful or dark, I'm not suggesting you do that. But I mean, if something gives you life and it's the way God has made you, I'm strongly suggesting that you do that. And I'm also strongly suggesting that this is a spiritual activity. So um, I've got a couple of slides <clears throat> up there of some photography that Tom Sloan has done. Thanks, Tom. You didn't know I was going to be highlighting Tom. Uh, but you see, Tom had this crazy notion. I don't know if it was like a 50-year like change of plan. I, I don't know. I won't have any confessions yet, Tom. But some other Tom decided that he liked photography. And he was actually going to do something about it, like he's going to learn how to get better at photography. So uh, he did indeed, and he's run around and taken a whole bunch of pretty awesome photographs of Hopkinton, the state park. Uh, show us another one there. There we got the state park again. Now you know why I like to pray in, down the state park. It's beautiful. And there's another one, and, and even the Middlesex Savings Bank cottoned onto this, and they've got Tom's stuff, I think, on their webpage, on their calendar, and, and we've cottoned onto it, so we're using it as background slides. Thanks, Tom. But, you know, Psalm 19 says something to us. You can put it up in the screen. The heavens proclaim the glory of God. The skies display his craftsmanship. Day after day they continue to speak. Night after night, they make him known. They speak without a sound or word. Their voice is never heard. Yet their message has gone throughout the earth and their words to all the world. Uh, what I'm trying to say here is we can connect our enjoyment. In Tom's case, the love of doing photography and particularly of nature scenes and Go figure, to get good nature scenes, you've got to get up really early because catch them at sunrise, which in the Sloan household, by the way, that means Mary Ellen's already back from her run, you know, done her Bible study, prayed for her kids, and then, you know, Tom can go out. I mean, they're just an exceptional family, I know. But, you know, in that case, uh, for most of us, you know, we're still waking up. But here's the connection. Can we say the thing that gives us life and joy, and in Tom's case, photography, actually is a spiritual activity. It actually is connecting with the Lord. Can we make that link and say, wow, that's beautiful, that's awesome. God, you created that. You give me delight in looking at your creation. That just gives me joy. And see that this is not just photography, but it's more, it's the way God has designed us. It seems to me also that just because we are not perfect human beings, we have a propensity to do the very thing that we shouldn't do, uh, such as worry. 
uh, we seem to have uh, an enormous appetite for delighting in worry or, uh, you know, doing things to ourselves which are not good for ourselves, like not getting enough sleep or not getting enough exercise or whatever. But, I mean, worry just seems to be one of those things that the Lord is telling us, do not worry. And we say, I will worry. I like worrying. Worrying just sucks the life out of me. And the Lord is saying, that's the problem. I want to give you life. I don't want to have life sucked out of you. And so as we press into the things of the Lord, the question is, what gives us life? And if it gives us life, and if it's something that's, you know, of the Lord, can we do it? Whether it be dance or running or reading or relaxing or reflecting, can we do that? And can we do that to give ourselves a life? So what I want you to get out of this message today is this, this idea that 2015 could indeed and should be the best year of our lives, irrespective of what happens. Okay, just, just think of this concept for a moment. If our lives are truly founded on the Lord, and if our attitude is one where we're going to see the Lord at hand and at work in our own lives, and if our happiness is dependent on Jesus and not on circumstances that get dictated to us, then there's nothing stopping this year from being the greatest year of our lives. Uh, if, on, on the other hand, our happiness is dependent on a big deal coming through, or our kids graduating, or some event that we can't really control happening, and that's going to be what we put our, all our hope and trust in, then there's a good chance this is not going to be a great year. But if, on the other hand, we say, Lord, my trust, my hope, my faith is in you, and my delight is in you, and this is just going to be a great year because I'm going to get my strength from you and my hope in you, and you're going to help me to get through no matter what, and I'm going to see and have a, a, an adjustment to my way of life that I'm not going to be stressed and worried, but I am going to get joy and life from the things that give me joy in life. Uh, it's going to be a great year as long as we can, we can do that. So let me just uh, pray before I, I start preaching from the Lord's Word. Lord, I, I just pray that you'd empower my preaching today. That indeed, uh, you would give me the ability, Lord, to communicate your Word. Uh, Lord, that we all, myself included, can become more like you in 2015. Uh, so, Lord, help me to communicate now. How do we embrace your truth, your life, uh, that gives us life and joy for this coming year? Help me as I preach that this morning. In your name, Jesus. Uh, amen. Uh, I want to just read Matthew 11.28 to you. You can find it there for, for me, Kevin. Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and will find rest for your souls. Not rest for your body, not rest for your mind, not rest for your spirit, but rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is 
I give you is light. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And then in Matthew 16, 26. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? You see, when we think of this concept of soul, what God is trying to communicate to us, I believe, is that the word soul is all-encompassing. It's not like we compartmentalize our lives and say, okay, we've got the spiritual side, we've got Sunday, but then when Monday comes along, we don't do anything spiritual, we just like constantly work. And then Tuesday, we just work, and you know, work week rolls around back to Sunday, and finally we get a day off, hopefully, and then we concentrate on our spirit and our soul. That is a, a totally foreign concept to the Lord. What the Lord is trying to say to us, I believe, in, in the idea of soul, is it's all-encompassing. Uh, the soul certainly covers our spiritual life. It also covers our physical life. I believe if the Lord is saying it, it needs to go well with your soul, it also means, like, how's your weight? Uh, how are you doing? Do you need to go to the gym? Uh, how's your sleep? Do you need to catch up on sleep? Uh, I believe it's all. It, it, God wants it to go well with us. It, it's all inclusive. I mean, look at this verse in, in, in Mark 12, 30. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And again, I don't think we should be like segregating these things like these are different compartments. I believe what is being said here is this it covers everything. You need to love God with all of, that you got, your mind, your intellect, the way you work, the way you sleep, the things that give you joy, everything. And so if it's going to go well with your soul, I mean, it starts off with let it go well with God, your, your relationship with God, your lifestyle with God. Let it go well. I want to, if you've got an uh, insert, I encourage you to just follow along with me because I want to point out three things that I think we should make adjustments to in our lifestyle. Uh, I've called them rhythms. Uh, how do we get a rhythm that will give us life? And the first one I want to talk about is develop, developing a rhythm of rest in Christ. Uh, how do we live this life, our physical lives, where we don't feel like sleep-deprived, where we don't feel like exhausted, where we feel the exact opposite, where we feel like, you know, I'm rested up and I'm ready to do and take on the work week, the day, the challenges. I feel like I've got energy. Uh, I feel like there's always something to look forward to. I feel like there's always some hope that's ahead of me. And that's just your normal everyday life. I believe that's the type of life God wants us to have. And I'm talking about how do we develop a rhythm of rest. Now, I use the word rhythm because, you know, whatever uh, pattern works for me is probably not going to be the pattern that works for you. I mean, I like to get up somewhat early. I'm, I'm not quite like Mary Ellen, like at five o'clock already done all my exercise. I'm, I'm, I'm like forcing myself out of bed. But, you know, when I get back home, I mean, my wife's still sleeping. 
But let me tell you about the other end of the day. Like at 9 o'clock, I'm like the worst party person in the round. I mean, I'm like, where's that bed? And all my kids are like, 9 o'clock, Dad. Can I take the car? I've got like plans for this evening. And I'm like, plans for this evening? Don't wake me up. <laughs> you know, or Liz like, you know, we need to talk about stuff. 9 o'clock at night, I'm not talking about anything. I'm not even like coherent. You know, I mean, we have different rhythms. So what I'm trying to tell you, if you say a great plan is you should like read your Bible at 9 o'clock at night, I'm like, that'll be awesome for falling asleep. Uh, we've got to figure out our own rhythm. But, but what I am saying is it does seem like God has designed us and designed this world with cycles or rhythms or patterns or calendars and I think it behooves us to work with that pattern and not against it. Uh, but let me just sort of create the big idea here uh, in this idea of getting rest and taking some time to celebrate uh, resting. Look what it says in Genesis 2.2. It says, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Now, here's the thought. If we created in God's image, and God thought it was important for himself to rest when he did creation, it's probably the way he's designed us that we should rest. Now, we also know that in the Old Testament, they kind of legalized this. They said, okay, you will have a Sabbath day rest, and you can't work on the Sabbath. And we also know that that didn't work too well because people got very legalistic, and instead of actually getting the essence of what God wanted, which was rest, people like, got all stressed out on what, you know, what, what was considered work and what was considered rest. And then in the New Testament, uh, Jesus tells us, look, it's not so much the day that's important, it's the concept. We need to get rest. And Jesus is basically saying we're not pointing towards the day, we're pointing towards him, to Jesus. We get rest in Jesus. That's the big idea of the Bible from Genesis to the New Testament. So what I am saying, though, is in the cycle, we should figure out how to get rest, starting with sleep. It's torture to not have enough sleep on a regular basis. Our bodies are designed that we need sleep every night on a regular pattern. Now, you can be a little less sleep one night and catch up another, but on a, you know, throughout the week, you want to get enough sleep. And so my question to you, which is a spiritual question, which is a concern for your souls, is are you getting enough sleep? And the flip side of that is, if not, get sleep and don't feel guilty about it. I mean, you know, I like to sleep like, I don't know, it seems like eight or nine hours. If, if I get like seven hours, I feel like gypped. I'm like, hey, what happened to that? And it's for some strange reason, all the people I hang out with, like Jeff Biggers, I mean, he does like five hours of sleep, and then he's doing exercise and Bible reading, and, you know, he just like has a whole bunch of extra hours in his day. And I'm like, that's not fair. <laughs> but, I mean, you know what your rhythm is. You know what, how much sleep you need, and I'm just saying, get it. You know, I know what my wife is like when she hasn't had enough sleep. I prefer it when she has had enough sleep. 
I mean, it's a spiritual blessing to me when she's had enough sleep. I mean, if she says, I need to take a nap this afternoon, it's like, take a nap. It's quite okay. I'll go and shovel the snow. I noticed it was very convenient to have a nap just as that snow. Yeah, just have a nap. <laughs> we need to get in that rhythm. I mean, get enough rest. That's all I'm saying. Uh, but there's a cycle here. Daily rest, get enough sleep. Uh, on a weekly basis, you know, God is saying, look, take a day off. You know, don't work seven days a week. That was actually what was happening in slavery, that God rescued the Jews out of Egypt. They were working as slaves seven days a week. The bizarre thing is that we now voluntarily want to put ourselves back in slavery, like, I'll work every day of the week. Sunday's the greatest day, double time, triple time. I can't get a job any other time. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. And, you know, when I ask somebody later on, it's like, how are you doing? Oh, I used to love church, but now I just, you know, money's good. And how are you doing? I'm exhausted. Oh. No surprise. Uh, do you have any time off? No, no time off. How are you doing? I'm feeling sick. I'm feeling run down. Yeah, no kidding. Get in a rhythm. I mean, you know, take time off. You, you, that's the whole idea of God's plan. Stop working. Come to church. Worship God. Get a different perspective. Ease up a bit. Don't let that encroach in your time. So daily, weekly. You know, how about monthly? Is there some case to be made for on a monthly basis having at least one good thing to look forward to. Maybe it's a date night. Uh, maybe it's, you know, a movie night. So, I mean, something that gives you life. And you say, look, I can't do it every day. I can't do it every week. But once a month, I can plan for that. You know, maybe you're going to do a little weekend away or, or you know, we're going to do like a family gathering or whatever it is that would give you life that you can't do on a, on a week on a, a weekly basis, but you can do it on a monthly basis. Maybe it's going to be, you know, once a month I'm going to connect with the extended family. I'm going to go visit my grandparents or parents or make a big family dinner or you know, whatever. Find something. It gives you something to look forward to. How about on a yearly basis? I mean, do you have something on a yearly basis to look forward to? Maybe it's like going to a conference or how about this novel idea, taking two weeks of vacation. I mean, that means like, one week followed by another week without any work in between. I mean, I know for Americans, that's just like a, such a foreign concept. I mean, look at you. You're looking at me like, I haven't done that in 20 years. I can't imagine doing that. Nobody in my office does that. Let me just tell you, for the few people that have actually done that, this is the experience. It took me eight days before I could relax. And after that, I just found this huge amount of energy coming in. And I found that I started thinking creatively, and I started thinking about vision, and I started thinking about future things. But when I only took a week off, I mean, I just got through the week, and we're back to work. And No, but what we'll do, we'll, we'll jump on a cruise, pay a lot of bucks, fly somewhere, pack it all in, do everything, seven days, if you're lucky, mostly it's three or four days, and we're back on it. That's not a rhythm of rest. I'm honestly suggesting, like, think about it. Can you do two weeks of rest? Can you do two-week vacation? Uh, I mean, if you can do it, I, I strongly recommend you do it. If you can't, okay, you can't. Uh, uh, just do it. Find something. All I'm suggesting in this is just try and find a rhythm that's going to give you rest on a sustainable, long-term basis. Here's my last idea. In the Bible, every seventh year was like a jubilee year. Uh, what about having some long-term thing that you plan for and you get excited about. It's not something you can do every year. 
It's something you can do like every five years or every 10 years or every seven years. Uh, like Joe and Rosemary doing their 50-year wedding anniversary. Hey, let's throw a big party and let's celebrate that. What an awesome idea. 50 years of marriage. Great thing to celebrate. Worthy of planning. You know, what's there in your life that you're saying, hey, you know, I can't do it every year, but I can do it every five years or seven years. And we're going to plan that thing. We're going to save for that thing. It's going to be an awesome thing. All I'm trying to say is, how do we set up things in our lives that we can develop a rhythm that gives us life? Instead of having things dictated to us, we have control of our attitudes. We have control of our schedule. We have control of a lot of things that can give us life if we will let them. And I'm encouraging us to get in a rhythm of letting us enjoy the things that give us life. Get in a rhythm that gives us rest, and it's rest in Christ. Matthew eleven twenty nine 29 again. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. I, I mean, I'd be surprised if as I'm sharing this with you, you're saying, that's a terrible idea. I just wish I could have less sleep. I wish I could have less vacation. I just wish I could have less fun, less enjoyment. I just want less. I mean, that would, I would have to say there's something wrong with you. Most of us are fighting with the exact opposite thing. That sounds great. How could I have two weeks vacation? That would be awesome, you know. Yeah, well, we have to be intentional about it. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen. The second big idea here on what can we do that gives us life in Christ is how about developing a rhythm where we have some solitude, some silence, and some prayer in our life. Now, these things can sort of overlap. I mean, you can see that, you know, maybe on... Sabbath day, you might find that a good day to get some silence and solitude and rest. But, you know, in the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Mark is a great gospel in the sense that it's a condensed gospel and everything's happening in a hurry and uh, the points that are being made, like it made succinctly. And so if you're like an action-packed person, the Gospel of Mark is going to be the gospel you're really going to gravitate towards. But if you look at the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark and you look at Jesus' work life, Jesus' life cycle, it's an eye-opener. Uh, I mean, let me, let me read a little bit to you. Uh, this is Mark uh, chapter 121. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. Okay, awesome. So Jesus is teaching. It's on the Sabbath. Uh, and he is expending energy, teaching, convincing people, asking people to change their bad habits, encouraging people to get life and to get some rest and to do some good things. And he's preaching. And uh, after Jesus finished preaching, he and his mates went to the pub. They had a beer. They hung out. And it was an awesome day. Wait a bit. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting. 
Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? You now Jesus has to start casting out evil spirits, and it gets kind of awkward, and there's tension in the room, and I mean, he's exerting energy, and I'm sure after all of that, he felt both, you know, excited about what had happened, but also a little drained. After that, verse 29, after Jesus left the synagogue with James, John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. They had a beer, sat down. No, sorry, they didn't. When they go to Simon's house, more work. Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. No kidding. And what did Jesus do? He gets to work on the fever. Right, and now he's dealing with healing ministry and praying to uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law and healing her and now the clock is ticking, and it's now the afternoon. And let me remind you, Jesus was preaching in the morning, casting out evil spirits. Now he's going to hang out with his buddies, and uh, they got more ministry needed. Pray, pray, work, work. And then that evening, after sunset, he and his buddies went to the pub, had a beer. Nope, wait a bit. That evening, after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. Uh, okay, now that's after sunset. I mean, that's a long day. At this point, you would think Jesus is tired. However, Jesus has planned for the work week. The plans are, we've got a lot of travel ahead, we've got business to do, we've got a full agenda and so this is how he does it. The next morning, before daybreak, the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus said, we must go on to other small towns as well, and I will preach to them. That is why I came. So here's the point I'm trying to make. Jesus had a full schedule. He was doing a lot of work. But somehow or other, there was a rhythm in what Jesus was doing where he said, look, I need to connect with the Father. I need to get empowered. I need to get refreshed. I need to get restored. And he needed to do that early in the morning. He needed to get away from his own disciples and connect with the Lord. Now, I don't know if that's what Jesus did every morning. I just know that in this particular case, that's what he did. I also know that when we read the Gospels, we don't read a Jesus who's sleep-deprived and cranky. We, we, we read about a Jesus who always seems to be, like, ready and on and, you know, willing and able. Uh, he, he's found a way of getting a rhythm. And in this particular case, he's found a way of getting a rhythm where he gets solitude, silence, and prayer, and he can hang out with the Father because that gives him life. Not because, like, I have to do it because that's a religious thing to do and I need to do it and I need to make sure every morning I get up really early and set my long clock even earlier than what I did before and I don't care if I only have five hours of sleep, I just need to get my prayer. That's exhausting. No. Now, you can chop out sleep for one night or two nights, but not as a rhythm. And I'm interested in a sustainable, long-term rhythm. Uh, how do you connect? Uh, the third thing that I want to suggest that might give you uh, life in Christ, is a concept of the examine. Now, the examine is really an old concept, a Catholic concept, Episcopal concept, 
that's becoming a new concept. So in other words, it's not a new idea. It's an old idea which is getting some uh, replay because there's benefit in this. What exactly is the examine? Here's the idea. You choose a time in your day uh, where you can reflect for a moment on what it is that gives you life, what gave you life that day. It's a little brief pause, and uh, you say, okay, what happened today? For me, it would be before I go to bed, and I just want to spend a little bit of time and think, okay, what was the best part of today? And it might be just a very average, ordinary day. Nothing spectacular happened. You didn't see any huge God moments. Uh, it was just a, every day. Can you just pause and just like, okay, this was the best part of this day. Now, here's the spiritual idea here. Back to the creation account. Almost every day after Jesus is doing some sort of creative act, he pauses and he says, that was good. Well, let me read it to you. So here we have the third day of creation, and uh, God has created vegetation, and at the end of that, God saw that it was good. That evening passed, and the morning came, marking the third day. Then the next day, God creates lights in the sky, and at the end of that day, it says, God saw that it was good. In other words, God did a whole bunch of stuff, then at the end of the day, he paused and he said, that was good. And then the next day, uh, God created uh, swarms of fish and let the skies be filled with birds. And then when the end of the day came, God saw that it was good. And then it culminates after six days of work. It says this, then God looked over all he had made and saw that it was very good. Uh, there's a sense here what God is doing is saying, okay, I work, and then I reflect. And I just think that this rhythm is beneficial to us, where we can take a day, no matter what happened in our day, and just look for the best thing in that day. And say, God, that was worth reflecting on. Uh, it's more than that, though. Sometimes several good things might have happened in the day. And as you start thinking about it, uh, you might have a lot of good things that you want to be thankful for or reflect on. But I'm suggesting you try and find the best thing of all the good things. And when you found that good thing or the best of all the good things, just pause for a second and ask yourself this question. Why was that a good thing? Why was that something that is giving you pleasure? Why is it the thing that you're reflecting on? Because what you're trying to do is you're trying to establish like what makes you tick and perhaps how does that connect with God? Uh, is it something that you get delight in that God is in fact doing in you or around you that you find delight in? And then to do that. So, for instance, uh, for a Christmas present, my kids asked me what I want for Christmas and I said to my kids, first I said to my son, I said I wanted a diary. Uh, and he just blew me off. But my daughter, being super spiritual, she got dad a diary. So you see, look at my nice diary. Leather-bound diary. My daughter knows how to do it right. <laughs> look what it says on my leather-bound 
diary. For I know the plans for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm. You know, just awesome verse. Okay, now this little diary I've set aside for this purpose. I'm not writing prayer requests in here. I'm not writing like how my day went. This little diary I'm just using for my examine. Like mostly I'm trying to get in the rhythm of doing it every night. Now I might miss a night or two. I'm not beating myself up if I miss them. But then I want to take time and actually I'm going to write in there what was the best part of the day. And as the month goes by, I want to kind of harvest that diary and I want to go through and see, is there a pattern here? You know, what, what's coming out at me? Here's another way of doing this for you. Uh, you might want to take Philippians 4.8. Let me read Philippians 4.8. And you might want to break this verse down and think of your day through the lens of Philippians 4.8. Philippians 4.8 says this. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Okay, so you, know, you might have had a lousy day. But maybe in that day there was something that was true. Maybe that's the only thing that you can extract out of the day. You say, that was true. Well, good. Fix your thought on that. Do a Philippians 4.8. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Make a note of it. So maybe just to summarize during the exam, uh, you might, I don't have this in your bulletin insert. If you want to write this down, you're more than welcome to. But what I'm saying is this. Maybe figure out a time slot that works best for you. Some people, it's lunchtime. Uh, some people might be first in the morning where you're fr reflecting on the previous day. Uh, for most people, this is something you would do you know, before you go to bed. Uh, anyway, find a time slot. Uh, then use Philippians 4.8 if you're stuck. You can't for the life of you think of a good thing. Uh, but here's the third point. I'd encourage you to actually ask Jesus to help you isolate what might be the important thing or the good thing or the thing you want to think about for the day. You see, we could go through the day and we could think this was important, that was good, that was honorable, that was true, that was delightful. But if we can pause and say, Jesus, is there something that you want me to notice in the day? It could just be that the Lord like put something in your mind. Like you might see the, your child's face and there was just delight in their face when something happened. And the Lord might be saying, that's what I want you to focus on. Did you see that your child was really like delighted when you said something or did something? And that might be the thing. So just ask the Lord uh, to help you with what he wants to reveal. Take the best of the bunch of things uh, and then isolate what you think was best and just relive it for a few seconds. Just, okay, what was it about that that was good? Yeah, that was great. How did you feel at the time? Why did that give you life? Yeah, great. Thank you. And then that's it. Move on. Go to sleep. Get some rest. Enjoy your life. <laughs> now, here's my conclusion. I know this verse, you've all got in your refrigerator, and if you haven't, you need to. This is a very important verse. It's the most important verse in the Bible. How many of you have memorized Hebrews 13, 17? Don't, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. This is why it's the most important verse in the Bible. I'll read it to you. 
Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Isn't that an awesome verse? Oh, that's a great verse. Let me read it again. I'm really into it. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. <laughs> okay, this is what I'm telling you to do. And this is what I'm saying. <laughs> Develop a rhythm of rest. <laughs> Develop a rhythm of solitude, silence, and prayer. And do a daily examine. I better finish reading that verse. Uh, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they are accountable to God. You see, my job is to try and help you become more like Jesus uh, and to follow Jesus and live a Jesus-type lifestyle. That, that's my job. My job is to try and encourage you to do that. And if uh, I can do that, then it'll go well with your soul and it'll go well with me before the Lord. It says, give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. All right, so uh, let me just uh, end there and let's say again, uh, what's stopping this year, 2015, being the greatest year of our life? Uh, if we can have the right attitude, if we can uh, not allow externals to control us, but if we can be connected to the Lord, if we can truly uh, find rest in the Lord and be yoked with the Lord, let uh, our burdens truly be light, and if the, allow the Lord to care for us, if we can reflect on what's good, if we can be, have a style, a lifestyle that gives us hope and joy and uh, something to look forward to, I think we can have an awesome year. So, as yeah, amen. Thank you. And that's, you know, are we all going to go through hardships and difficulties? That's part of life. But that doesn't have to define us or define our year. So uh, as we uh, end and take communion, uh, how about just, you know, you're welcome to come up for communion. One of the worship team coming up. Uh, you can come up for communion whenever you like. We've got stations up here at the front. We've got some at the back. If you're sitting behind the post, go to the ones at the back. If you front, come on up. Uh, if you uh, new today or you're visiting us, you're welcome to take uh, communion uh, here at the church. Just watch others do it. Uh, I think we've got gluten-free something somewhere. Uh, if it looks different, it's probably gluten-free. Uh, but, uh, but here's the big idea that I'd like you to just pause on before taking communion. Uh, maybe just think about, okay, what is it that you need to change in your rhythm, in your lifestyle, uh, to give you life, uh, to give you rest, to give you life in Christ? Uh, is it a daily habit that needs to change? Is it you know, annual vacation? Is it more time of solitude and prayer and reflection? But like maybe just think about what it is that you want to adjust. It's more than likely going to also mean that you're going to have to remove something. We can't just keep adding things to our schedule and expect it all to work out. You know, if you're going to go to the gym, uh, you're going to have to make time to go to the gym. Something's going to have to give. Uh, if you want to do something refreshing, take time off, something's got to give. So maybe just spend a few minutes just thinking about that. Uh, you know, if you can only come up with one thing, the biggest thing that I've said today, whatever struck, struck the, the best chord with you, if you just adjust that one thing and leave here today with that, I think you would have got something meaningful out of the sermon. If you've got several things, fine. So um, why don't we just dim the lights 
half of them anyway. That's good. So Lord Jesus, I just thank you that even on the night before you were crucified, you didn't seem depressed, you didn't seem sleep deprived, you didn't seem snappy or annoyed, you didn't even seem anxious. Jesus, you gathered your disciples around you. Uh, you said that you wanted us to take communion on an ongoing, regular basis where we could reflect on you, where we could think about what it is that you've done by dying on the cross for us, by overcoming death, by giving us a sense of enjoying your peace and your joy, no matter what the circumstances that we can hang on to you, that we can hang on to the truth of the things you've told us, like that your burden is light. And so, Lord, we just reflect on what you've done for us and the life you've given us and what you're offering us and the hope that you give us by the power of your Holy Spirit living within us. So, Lord, as we take communion, I just ask, for your people, Lord. I pray for your people. I pray, Lord, that you would give them a rhythm of rest, that this year would be the best year of their lives. Lord, whatever adjustment they need to make, that you'd help them recall it and think of it and to be able to make that adjustment, that it give them joy and rest and peace and hope in you, Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving us communion as a regular reminder. And Lord, we honor you and obey you and partake in communion, asking for you to give us rest and peace in you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. As I said, come up when you're ready. Come up as a family. Come up once you've had a chance to process.